Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense, Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Blog Talk Radio. Tonight, we'll go back in time to seasons past, when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score that would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats, football (laughs) history and its memorabilia on the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network. We're live from the Southport, North Carolina home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America that focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150-plus years of football history and memorabilia, and you can find us on the web at Gridiron Greats Magazine. This time, I'd like to introduce my co-host, the senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Larger. He hails from Portland, Oregon, Mr. Joe Squires. Jeff, welcome to the show this evening. Uh, Bob, good to be here as always. Uh, you, you you nailed the intro where your 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 new uh, the new home of Gridiron Greats. You nailed it. The Wallingford, Connecticut, uh, gone. You're, you're nailing it, Bob. Well done. It's been 36 days as a new <laughs> citizen down here. <laughs> Joe, last, last show you stuttered a little bit, you know, to you know to to, to get it. Now you're uh, now you just you, you just nailed it. Uh, well done. We are um, we are ready, and I'm going to hand off to you looking at an auction first before we get into our meat of the show, of our discussion. Last show, we talked about some auctions that were coming up, including uh, Memory Lane. They don't do previews, but Memory Lane popped uh, a couple days ago on September 20th. Uh, there's a, a lot of very high-end sports in there uh, a lot of really nice older what's that one sport where they have the white ball the small ball they throw at somebody with a stick anyways they've got some pretty high-end that uh, that shall which shall not be named and they've got some incredible football including a, a 1952 Bowman large Tom Landry rookie card rated PSA wow. 10 this is uh, nearly wow. a 70-year-old card, Bowman Large, which is stunning. Number 142, which is, you know, short print. Uh, PSA 10, just incredible. It's a pop two, which I didn't know, but incredible. Uh, just just incredible. And what's funny is you look at that and you're like, this thing had better be pristine. Because there's a, there's a tiny bit of subjectivity to grading, wouldn't you say? I I look I'm looking at it right now. That that's an incredible card. That is an incredible card. Yeah. 
you know, you, you know, the rough crush edge, right? Yep. Yeah. Question. Where do you think it's going to go? How much? Oh, boy. And how? Not 8,800 right now. Next bid, 9,800. Yeah, this isn't my sandbox, to be honest, Bob, but, but I, I want to go back to, you know, you said it's perfect. And I was looking at this and went, man, you know, again, I brought up the subjectivity of grading. And I'm like, the rough cut on the right, yes, that's the way they cut them back then. They, you know, they had blades that cut, and sometimes the blade, you know, if this is down on the bottom of the sheet, and they don't take that into account, but a little bit, a little bit, you know, it's about 60, 40, 55, 45, top to bottom, mm-hmm. centering. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's not perfect. We've seen PSA 10s that are like, wow, that's just stunning. And we've, in this one, to me, it's just, it's not quite perfect. And it just brought up that whole subjectivity to grading. The, 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 if this is in a PSA 9 flip, I wouldn't blink an eye. PSA 10, that's interesting. The next lot right after it, 1950 Bowman number five YA Tittle rookie card. Uh, it's you know 1950. They're they're smaller. They're much smaller. They're little little squares. SGC 100. SGT SGC 10. Excuse me, which is their old 100. But I'm looking at that one, and I'm like, that is perfectly square. The corners are sharp, etc. Perfect. I, I don't know. It's just. Uh, a little bit of subjectivity to grading, obviously, but it's just it's, it's fascinating. Just uh, if that was again at an SGC 96 or 98 holder, I wouldn't blink an eye. SGC 100, SGC 10, okay, this thing had better be perfect. It's, it's pristine, is what it says. So I mean, it's I don't know. It's it's interesting, isn't it? And I know you're 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 not big into graded cards, so the, the subjectivity of grading is one of your one of your one of your reasons. Well, it's, it's amazing to look at, and it's amazing to see what, what people pay for these graded cards. And I, I, I just find it fascinating. I mean, it just it just doesn't do anything for me. You know what I mean? So being the dinosaur that I am in, in the hobby, obviously it becomes, uh, it, it becomes uh, I, don't, I don't even know how to put it. I mean, it's just, it's just fascinating to continue to watch it and see the prices go every which way. And it, it's it's truly amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, is what it is. Yeah. Yep. Real quick, um, touch upon 48 leaf, and uh, we had a lot of feedback feedback last uh, last week about the um, about the uncut sheets we were talking about, yada yada yada, and uh, it's uh, an amazing sheet that you own. Could I hand off to you real quick, three minutes or less? Talk a little bit about. <laughs> you can hardly talk about leaves for three minutes. I've never been quantified like that. It's that, yeah. We we had a couple of people inquire about that. I have uh, I mentioned in my you know my uncut sheet collection. I have you know a series one. There are ninety eight cards in a leaf set, and they were printed on two seven by seven sheets, which are forty nine sheets per. So series one and series two. Series one has card one through forty nine, which includes card number one, the uh, the, the Sid Luckman. Card number four, the Doak Walker, and uh, the Sammy Bob, the Bob Waterfield. I mean, there's this is star-studded, and uh, you know, and uh, the layout of this is interesting because normally you think about as you're looking at the sheet, card number one goes in the upper left, and then it runs you know left to right horizontally. So you know, card number seven would be in the upper upper right. Excuse me, card number one is upper left, but uh, in this sheet. Card number one is in the upper right, the Sid Luckman, and then it runs vertically. So card number seven is in the bottom right, and then number eight is second row from the right. Uh, it, it runs backwards. If you flip it over, so they printed this, uh, to, you know, as if you flip it over, so you're looking at the, the back, you know, all the stats, card number one, Sid Luckman, is in the upper left. But if you flip it over to look at it, it's in the upper right, so it's backwards from what, what everything is. And I'll post a picture of that up. Maybe we can share it. But uh, it's just we've we've talked a lot about 48 Leaf. I wrote an article for Gridiron several years ago about card doctors and their love of the 48 mm-hmm. Leaf set. And uh, you know, I, I was a high-end 48 Leaf collector, you know, for a while. 
very passionate about the set and just uh and uh and I love it it's just it was it, it was tough to see you know you know you know a you know a set like this where cards were getting by you know they you know the measurements are all over the place you know I, I i convert it to millimeters it's you know 50 millimeters by 60 millimeters they're they're rectangular shaped and just how you know how prone to card doctoring mm-hmm. they were you know you find a large one you mm-hmm. turn it down and uh, I think last week I mentioned this is the only uncut sheet I've ever seen. And I'm looking at this Sammy Baugh, you know, buried right in the middle of the sheet. And uh, like, man, you know, if there, if, if there were more, if there were more sheets of this, I'll take a razor blade out there and cut Sammy Baugh out. And it'd, it'd be the fattest bordered slinging Sammy anyone's ever seen. <laughs> you know? Wow. Well, it, it's no, interesting. All right. When we talked about, and we've talked about this numerous times in the past, the doctoring of cards to make them uh, more clean, obviously to get a higher grade, yada, 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 you actually have the evidence of what you could see from a sheet and primitive trimming of cards back then, what a card doctor would actually do to that 48 Lisa to make it, you know, in perfect condition to get a great seven, eight, nine, whatever. And again, I go back to something I've said numerous times over the years. When I collected the 1948 and 49 Lisa, I rarely saw a card that was better than VGEX condition. Yeah. And this is well before yeah, yeah. any, any type of cards were greater. And I became skeptical and, and you caught on to it very early. I mean, we've been talking about this for years. That how come I never saw any of these pristine cards way back when, when I was collecting in the 80s. And now all of a sudden, we fast forward to, you know, zero, zero, the tens. All of a sudden, out of somebody's closet, all these 48 leaps in, in perfect condition are flooding the market. I mean, it makes no sense whatsoever. And And people are gullible enough to buy it like that. I mean, it makes no sense. It really no. It makes no sense. And again, you this have a, the evidence. You have the sheet. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. And obviously, it's a rhetorical it, question to say why that. Why the hell were we only seeing VG cards, you know, 20 years ago, and now all of a sudden, you know, we've got PSA eights and nines. Well, it's because there were a lot of fat bordered yeah. cards around, and you know, the Mosers of the world started scarfing those up and and uh, making them perfectly square you know, smaller PSA eights. So, you know, it's, it's tough. It, it is, it's absolutely heartbreaking to see such a beautiful, stunning set turned, uh, you know, you know, just, you know, doctored up. And now every time I see a leaf, a very nice high end leaf, my first thought isn't what a stunning card. My first thought is, has that been under the, under the knife or colored up or yep. soaked or whatever? And, Odds are the answer is yes, just based on what you just said as well, which is, you know, there weren't a lot of those mm-hmm. back in the day. And I've, I've heard that from many, many collectors who've been in this industry longer than I have. I mean, I'm I'm a new guy coming into the hobby, you know, 22 years ago. I'm new. You, you know, guys like you have been doing it since you were, you know, a young mustachioed captain, you know, plopping your nickel down for some 65 <laughs> billion. Uh, it's only been a mere 57 57- I only only been a mere what, 55 years I've been collecting cards, so it's not a big deal. Longer than I've been But I get I want to I want to I want to I want to say one thing also to try to try to again relate this whole situation. One of the last times before I packed my collection away, uh, before we moved, I looked at my 48 and 49 leaf sets, and I said to myself, if I graded these overall GVG, that's the highest grade I could possibly give these cards. I have a handful of cards that I would grade X. I have mostly cards that are graded poor, fair, GVG at best, with a few, uh, you know, VGEXs and a handful of EXs, and that's it. As far as the high series and 48 leaves, yes. don't tell me there any. There, don't tell me there's any PSA eights or nines, because they're not. I can't. I can't see how they even exist. I never saw one. I look at all my high numbers. My high numbers again: BGEX yeah. down to four, and that's it. 
And that's it. I mean, yep. it's, 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 just, it's just stupid. Ridiculous. And again, you got the proof. And uh, I talked to uh, one uh, individual who um, very interested in the show. We talked on the site. He's a subscri- long-time subscriber to Gridiron Greats. And I said to Nick, when uh, he actually called me and, and he asked me about it, and, and I explained to him, he's an old-time collector, long-time collector, that never did anything with sheets, but he was uh-huh. just fascinated by him. And he says to me, and it was, it was a pretty interesting question, do you think these sheets got cut up and got into the hobby, and that's why we got so many high-numbered yeah, or high-graded cards now? And I said, it's very possible. And it's also more possible that the sheets that were actually cut were retrimmed the car, individual cards were retrimmed and touched up by the doctors, and that's a, and there's nothing Absolutely. we can do about it. No. Nothing can do about I, it. I, we've got the evidence from you saying, you know, years ago these weren't around, and we've also got the evidence of seeing cards with specific markings on them that are graded a PSA six suddenly reappear in a PSA eight holder. Uh, just lots of evidence, just lots of you know trimmed up cards that get graded. It's tough. It's a blemish on on the hobby. I, I, I like third-party graders. I like PSA. It's a numbers game. I mean, if they're if they're grading, you know, 50 million cards a year, I mean, they're not an airline. It's not perfect. So, I mean, at some point, some exactly. of them are going to slip by the goalie. Some of them are going to slip by the goalie. And, unfortunately, we're looking at the, you know, the 1,000 cards a year that slip by the goalie and going, dang it, how did that get by? You know, not the other 49 million. But, yeah, it's tough. Nothing's perfect. So, yeah, and, and um, yeah. not to change the subject, but I want to touch real quick on, uh, well, before our guest comes on, um, we talked last week also about the unopened packs that we've been hoarding and uh, trying <laughs> to pay off future debt by selling it. I, I, I am succumbing to the fact that um, these packs that I'm staring at right now, um, <laughs> I have now two 2021 Prestige 30 card packs that I paid $8 a piece plus sales tax for. And I have four uh, score 2021 40 card packs, which the local (laughs) store here that has them really hasn't sold any since the last week I was into the store. And I asked the the lady at the checkout counter, are you selling a lot of these? And she said, honestly, you're you're like, I remember you from the last time buying a pack. You're buying another pack now. Oh. That's that's about only people buying it. <laughs> so I said maybe I should just uh, just sell sell uh, my uh, carriage here with 2021 score packs and box them away, or I could wait. Maybe they're going to mark them down to half price or something, and I can hoard them. Then it'll be like the good old days when I used to buy packs for 20 cents and clearance and, and stuff like that. Better, but better I think there's, uh, I think there's a, there's a little production issue this year, and uh, I think things are a little, little different than in the past. So, and or there's no flippers in North Carolina. That's my other, uh, my other uh, thought. So, <laughs> yeah. all right. No. Our special yeah. guest this year, I like to introduce him and get on uh, with our questioning of him. Our special guest tonight. The historian and curator at the Chick-fil-A College Football Hall of Fame. He's been working at the Hall of Fame since 2018. Past museums that he's been associated with include the Carver County Historical Society in Lacona, Minnesota, the H.H. Bennett Studio in Wisconsin Dells, and also the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. He is a 20 15 and 2017 graduate from the University of Wisconsin, Eau Claire. He has a great passion for history, especially as it relates to football. I'd like to welcome to the show this evening, Mr. Jeremy Swift. Jeremy, welcome to the show. And before we get started, I just want everyone to know we are not related in any way, <laughs> shape, or form, as far as I can tell. And I find it Thank amazing. Thank you for having me, Bob. I find it amazing that another person by the name of Swick has the DNA of football in him. Yeah. <laughs> what are the odds? <laughs> what are the, the odds? The DNA of football. Brenda Brenda was shocked when I showed her I showed her the name 
And she said, there's no way. We're on Ancestry.com, so we tried looking you up, and I know you're not like my six-distance cousin twice removed or whatever. And um, <laughs> just a quick quick background on our name. My real name, uh, the phonetic or the actual spelling of it from Eastern Europe was S-W-I-E-C-H. My grandfather came over here um, right after World War One as an immigrant, obviously, and the company that he went to work for in New Haven, Connecticut, changed his name because it was easier to spell to S-W-I-C-K, and it took it. And uh, But that's not actually my real name. That's always been W S W I E C H. I've thought many times in the past to switch to the original name, but that, that's uh, gone, gone by the wayside. So I wanted to clarify that before we get started. And... I'm honored to have another slick on the show, and I'm going to lead off by asking you, Jeremy, how'd you become a fan of football? Yes, well, first, I just want to say it's a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate it. When my family came over, they actually changed the name from Z-W-I-C-K to S-W-I-C-K. Okay. So, you know, that's that's, that's okay. definitely one of those things I think people on, you know, coming, coming from that area in the world, uh, definitely – it was changed pretty often, more than I think a lot of people realize. Yes, definitely. Definitely. So now, getting into how I became a fan of football. Well, you see, I'm originally from, let me rephrase, I've lived almost my whole life in Wisconsin. So that becomes really part of, uh, I think, your cultural identity, if you will, uh, being a Packers fan. Uh, you know, just growing up in, you know, in the shadows of um, what is uh, Green Bay Packer football. And hey, so, see, you know, play, you know. Go ahead. No, I said I can see that very well. I mean, uh, if you're in Wisconsin, you're from Wisconsin, you're definitely uh, 99.9% sure you're going to be a Packers fan. So I can see that. Absolutely. Absolutely, and it's one of those things that I have to laugh because I don't really remember when I became a fan. I always just remember uh, being a fan. Um, And so that was, you know, one of those really fun, uh, you know, just places to grow up, um, Milwaukee area. But uh, I still like yesterday, I can remember my first game going to Lambeau and uh, just, you know, the excitement I felt. I'll fly back. for Thanksgiving, and we're going to go to the game that game uh, that Sunday. So I'm looking forward to it. Good. That sounds great. All right. That's exciting. I, I'm, I'm curious. Obviously, you're you work for the you know the the you know, the, the the Chick-fil-A College Football Hall of Fame right now in Atlanta, Georgia. Correct. How long how long have you been there? Yes, sir. So I've been there since 2018, moving obviously from from Minnesota, uh, working at a different yeah. museum up there. Um, and, you know, it's yeah. just been great to have that wide range of different experiences throughout my time here, uh, just not only just at the Hall of Fame, but living in down south, living in Atlanta, uh, you know, just having, you know, that experience as well has been excellent. Yeah. I didn't realize it had moved to Atlanta to, to that, you know, doing some research for the show. What? I mean, once in a lifetime opportunity, you know, working, you know, at the College Football Hall in the Hall of Fame. It's just, it's, it's really cool. I mean, what's that like? I mean, what's your role there? What's it like? What's your day-to-day activities? Just being around all that greatness. I, I have to laugh when you say once in a life because that's how I thought when I was uh, working at the Pro Football Hall of Fame as a intern back in 2016. <laughs> I, I thought this would be the one and only time I get that close to. To greatness, if you will. I was fortunate enough to actually do uh, Brett Favre's induction um, at the Hall of Fame. And so being a kid from Wisconsin, I don't think – it's funny because I'm fortunate enough to meet athletes and players and coaches all the time now. And I'm like, oh, you're not Brett Favre. It's okay. Nice to meet you. Uh, you know, take care. But <laughs> I, I do have to laugh because uh, something about me, you know, growing up in the 90s, uh, I got to, got the opportunity to meet Dorsey Levins, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the great running backs of the – of that kind of Packers era in the nineties. And I, I felt like a little kid again, which is funny because, you know, meeting some of the other athletes that maybe have more notable, more, you know, well-known to the general public, but I felt like a little kid again. 
uh, you know, shaking hands with Dorsey Levins and um, all that. But to answer your question, um, my day-to-day is very interesting. It's it's a little bit different every every day, to be honest. Uh, I'm a historian and curator, but I also do a lot of archival work. So sometimes, you know, it's taking images sure. of historic jerseys or going through yeah. our, you know, expansive media guides and programs and all of that. Sure. It's got to be off script. Right. I, I, I'm curious. I'm curious to find out, Jeremy, um, what, what is the library at the college football hall of fame? Like, can you describe it um, as far as, the amount of it, publications, so on and so forth, the mix of books and or publications, programs. Fill us in on that. Yes, yes. So it's, I would argue, I think the last check, you know, seven, eight, maybe 8,000 uh, or so programs. Uh, but it's interesting. We're wow. actually due to get uh, 7,000 additional programs from uh, Sports Illustrated as they're downsizing. And so what we have done is we kind of gone through and did an inventory of items, you know, that we had lots of duplicates of and, you know, find, found different homes for those. Um, and we'll kind of do the same thing now that we have a list with the Sports Illustrated public, or excuse me, the Sports Illustrated uh, programs and media guides are donating to see what we already have and what we don't have and kind of make that surfing through all that information a little easier. Uh, with books, you know, we have books dating back to the early, you know, early 18, 1890s, 1880s of, uh, you know, the start of the game with the rule books. And uh, that's one of my favorite areas to kind of look through at the hall is the old rule books. Uh, because when we get new donations, if the donor might have a general year, something they think, so they think this helmet was, you know, 1902, 1903. Sometimes I can go back in the Spalding Guide and actually look up that advertisement because there's only so many out there. And wow. sure enough, a lot of times I'll find a diagram of wow. the exact helmet I am holding, you know, 110, 120 years later. <laughs> wow. That is incredible. And I also, I, I like, I also I'd like to know, Jeremy, um, media guides. What's the oldest media guide you have? And, and again, I'm – can you give a ballpark as far as how many media guides you uh, in the collection there? So the oldest media guide, I don't think it's the oldest, but it's really jumping out of my head. We have some from the early, the mid 1930s from Notre Dame, and I just remember okay. that. I just remember them because they're kind of hardbound and they, you know they're almost like a book more than a what you would consider a media guide today. Our oldest okay. program uh, is. I think we have an 1873 and 1874 programs, um, and wow. so those those you know those predate quite 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 a bit from the media guides. But my favorite thing about those early programs is when you open them up, you actually look at the player's name. It's funny because it's usually like you know the, the class of '75, but they're talking 1875. And then yeah. what they study, yep. what they were studying in school. So they they were instead of by position, it's school of law, school of medicine, uh, you know, school of education. Instead of you know, almost I'd say maybe more true student athletes at that point because uh, you know the games changed quite a bit from those early days. Definitely, definitely. Wow, that's amazing. Truly amazing. Joe, I cut you off. Oh, no worries, Bob. No worries. Uh, you, you get somebody like this on, and you, you, you know, it's just fun. I, so I was going over the the uh, Hall of Fame players by school inductees list. I just wanted to rattle off a couple uh, uh, a couple here, just uh, if if you'll indulge me. Uh, top of the top of the heap: Notre Dame at forty six. USC forty three, Michigan thirty one, Ohio State twenty six. You just have all your usuals. Let me scroll down to like Illinois greats. Red Grange obviously uh, inducted in 1951, and then I go down to the bottom, Georgia Southern. And what I was specifically looking for is uh, I'm from Oregon. I was looking for U of O Ducks. How many they had inducted? Do you know the answer to that? Zero. Top of my head, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was zero. 
which kind of surprised <laughs> me about, oh, well. Um, so you've, you've got to have some interesting stories about people coming in. I mean, just, uh, you know, just what they're looking for specifically and just how popular that Red Grange display must be, you know, in the Illinois section. Definitely, definitely. And so as we moved from South Bend, Indiana, to Atlanta, Georgia, the one of really exciting things about the Chick-fil-A College Football Hall of Fame now is how interactive it is, um, you know, with several different interactive exhibits. Um, but one of my favorite parts on the second floor is definitely that Red Grains jersey. We've had it uh, beautifully restored. And uh, it's, it's interesting because it sits next, right next to Jay Berwanger's helmet from wow. uh, his playing days. And, you know, you can see the early, you know, the kind of the more early creation of like a nose, you know, a nose covering as after, you know, broken his nose. But it's always interesting. And what's one of the interesting aspects is the fact that so much of what we have, unfortunately, just doesn't always uh, have permanent rotation on display. And so it's one of those really exciting things about the way the Hall of Fame is set up. I can continually bring out you know, different items that we, we've collected over the years or recent editions. And so that's one of those really fun aspects about, uh, about the Hall of Fame, just the versatility. Do you, do you do that? Are you arranging the displays? I mean, is that your responsibility? So, Correct, correct. So most of our permanent displays I've arranged, we have a – our biggest one every year is we have a temporary exhibit kind of space. And so currently I have locker room or lockers of all 32 inductees from 2020 and 2021. And so that meant reaching out to 32 different institutions and 32 different players and their families uh, to acquire various artifacts and memorabilia uh, to either get as a donation or get on loan or, you know, something in between. But it's definitely one of those really fun areas of, uh, seeing something a lot of times it's me scratching on you know a piece of printer paper what i'm kind of envisioning and then to see it months later kind of come to fruition is always one of those really exciting positions parts about my position boy i would love to see that great i guess i'll have to make it down there uh i would absolutely love to see a in color in person red grange illinois jersey because there's just you know you have to use your imagination when you see some of these black and white photos and it was just, there's always been curiosity about what the actual photo is. And I bought a replica jersey from Ebbets Field like two years ago, and I love it. But in the back of my mind, I've always been like, I wonder if this is what it looked like. Yes, yes. It's one of those things that uh, uh, when you have, and what one thing I really love about the hall is it, it's definitely accessible for the wide variety of, uh, you know, audiences that your hardcore fan is definitely going to get something out of it. People, you know, that have come and joined a vintage cards team are going to be really excited when they walk on the second floor and look to their left and see the 1955 Topps All-American set signed by 79 of the 88 possible. Wow. 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 And wow. That, wow. that I was, I was listening to you guys a little earlier and it's one of those things that I, I agree with where all these cards come out of nowhere, these pristine cards and definitely there's definitely issues in our, and what we do with the trimming and the doctoring. But every once in a while, I get this guy who had reached out to me via email. Well, let me rephrase that. Someone in his inner circle had reached out because he didn't use email. He didn't have a cell phone. He had his rotary phone, was living in, in the Bronx, and asked if I would be interested in, you know, these nice cards he had. And I didn't really know what, what that meant. And so – talking to him throughout a pandemic because once I realized what he had, my, my, my fear, to be honest, was that he was going to, you know, put them on the market and they would be gone very quickly. But he ended up, you know, deciding that it was best to donate them. And so I tell everyone when I get a new donation that I, I can't guarantee I will put it on permanent display because obviously we'd, everyone would love all their stuff on display all the time. Yeah. But with those 55 All-America cards, uh, I, he was the first guy I've ever said, yep, we're going, I'm going to find room. I don't know where the room is yet, but we will find room for all, all 100 cards. Wow. Wow. Yeah, he, uh, he, outdid, he outdid himself shortly after that and uh, also donated the 50, he had donated 
the 1948-52 exhibit cards. Um, almost all of them signed. Wow. 49 of the 53 were signed. Wow. Wow. Unbelievable. Love that. Unbelievable. To Jeremy, be, uh, to be a card guy that? myself. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, did you actually collect any uh, football items? Yes. Yes, I do. I'm, I'm at my house right now looking around. Uh, one of my good friends, <laughs> Dakota, we worked at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. She called me a collector's collector. Um, my, so I have a, a very large amount of Packers memorabilia, um, vintage football cards, you know, primarily working on the exhibit set, just finished uh, 51 Bowman. Um, oh, wow. I just bought Jeez. two Kenny Washington cards today, the uh, 48 Bowman uh, and the 49 Leaf. Wow. Nice cards. 48 Bowman. Nice. All, all vintage. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's an exciting thing. I, I mean, to go into it more, I, collect, I do collect a lot of NBA cards, more modern era. Um, I'm a huge Favre rookie collector, which I think goes without – not not a huge shock there. I got I got into – I don't have a ton of baseball cards, but I did get into the Project 2020 last year and did a complete set of the Clemente art cards they had and a complete set of the Robinson cards. But now that's scratching the itch to go pick up those uh, those rookies at some point. But I, I think I'm, I'm going to have to jump a couple more tax brackets before that uh, – a realistic goal. I gotta, well, I gotta put you on the spot. Who do you like better, Favre or Rogers? Brett Favre. Brett Favre. That being said, <laughs> would I say position-wise, skill-wise, Rogers? You know, just statistically, through throws way less interceptions, doesn't throw into triple coverage unless you're counting, you know, two weeks ago. But in general, I think he's definitely more of a sound quarterback. But there was something special about, you know, far of throwing chop blocks at Warren Sapp or, you know, throwing off mm-hmm. his back foot in triple coverage and scoring a touchdown and then shrugging at uh, Holmgren <laughs> after he, uh, yep. he yep. after it worked. Yep. So um, I'll always, I think, be a far fan. Uh, I won't say over Rodgers, but it, when I get asked that question, it's uh, as you can tell, it's a pretty easy answer for me. Oh. Uh, I heard. You, well, I heard. not the not the pitch though, but you you graduated in uh, 2015, so I just kind of assumed you were a, you know, you're a younger guy, but I mean, you're you're obviously collecting all this vintage, and I assumed you're you're really into vintage just because you're surrounded by it every day. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So I was born '91. I'm 29. Uh, the cat's out of the bag. The, the historian and curator is pretty <laughs> young at the Hall of Fame. Whoa! <laughs> so I, had, I, had, I, had, I had to laugh when Whoa. you guys were, uh, you know, talking about how long you've been collecting. I'm like, I don't know if I was alive uh, when you guys started. But um, the vintage, I think, I feel, has I really been feel an old. interest to me. I feel old. Holy <laughs> oh, I'm definitely the um, dinosaur in the world. <laughs> <laughs> ah, nonsense. Young at heart, right? Yeah, well done. Well, it's just good to see people into vintage, into vintage, because it's just, uh, it took me a while to come around to it. So it's just, it's, it's kind of cool. But like, like I said, you're surrounded by it at the Hall of Fame. I mean, at some point you got to wow. be curious. I mean, you know, yeah. Anyways, well, congrats, man. I like it. Oh, I appreciate it. Definitely. It's one of those things, like, that's one of the really exciting things about having those 55 cards on display. And it's one of the interesting things that I think, and I'm just, um, I'm not no Stradamus, but one of the things I think these vintage cards are slowly moving into are almost more like art pieces than they are the actual cards. Mm. And I realized that watching people mm-hmm. look and interact with those 55 cards, because we have a nice little story of like what they are, and you know, 90 of the 100 cards are our Hall of Famers. And so yep. having people look at that, but I think a lot of people just appreciate the aesthetic of them because I know for a fact they don't know all the names. They don't know really who, you know, who was where and how good they were, except kind of, you know, some of the more marquee names. But I can just see, see people start to have that different level of appreciation, maybe without knowing who the players are and 
uh, to the same level that you, uh, any of us might. Um, and so I think that's one of the really exciting things about vintage cards uh, in, in general. Um, it also scares me a little bit because I think the price might go up a little bit. So I, I've realized when I, when I see it is the best time to buy it. And so I started uh, to live by that motto a little bit, maybe to my own detriment sometimes. <laughs> that's okay. I like, I like it. Well, we 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 uh, I I kind of skipped. I apologize, Bob. I I I got ahead and asked him about uh, you know the the Hall of Fame and stuff like that. So you want to hit him about the the area? I was actually curious if he had a favorite area. So why, why don't you why don't you grab? <laughs> well, well, I'll, I'll chime in there, Jerry. Jeremy, the, the next question up is I mean, and I was curious about this too. <laughs> the entire college hall of fame. I mean, do you, do you have a favorite display? Do you have a favorite area? Do you, do you have, have something you walk by and still stop and look at? Yes. Yes, I do. And I'm, I'm, I'm a little biased because I, uh, I created it, but it was on our, as one of our more recent, I just have to thank the Southern company for, you know, providing the funding for it, but it's our celebrating HBCUs, uh, which are historically black colleges and universities. And it's an opportunity for those who don't know much about them to really take that deep dive in learning more about the rich histories and more than just football, learning about the bands, the classics, um, and seeing all that memorabilia on display. We increased it by maybe five times. It's almost 500 square feet now. Um, and cool. so it's really prominent in our museum. That's one of the, one of the areas I really love. If we're talking full exhibit, that's probably my favorite. Um, I also love the fact that we have the 1999 Paul Bunyan's axe, uh, being from Wisconsin, having one of the actual axes uh, here is one of those really just fun things. You can see on the sides of it where they tried to keep adding to it and eventually uh, eventually just donated it to us, obviously, before I got there. But that, those are probably two, two of my more favorite uh, favorite exhibits as well as I guess the rotundra where the, all the names are etched in uh, on the blades for each uh, hall of fame class. Um, that's just wow. one of those really kind of special areas at the hall of fame. Um, really good. You know where it celebrates rather than having bust on display or the, the old release at South Bend, if you had been there, um, this is all digital, but it still does a really good job of sharing their story, a quick video, some images, and, of course, the information on those Hall of Famers. Wow. Wow. That, that's got to be pretty cool. It's, I mean, because people come there, they travel out of the way to go there, and, and everybody's probably got one or, you know, one or two things that, that they're really excited about. Like, you know, like I mentioned, I'd my, you know, find my way up to the Illinois section and just stand there in front of Red Grange's display. Uh, if, it, if it's still on. And uh, I imagine just even working there, everyone say you have to stop and appreciate that you, you know, that you're surrounded by it and by greatness. It's pretty cool. Definitely. It's one of those amazing reminders, uh, just how, how lucky I am for what I do and just kind of celebrating the rich, you know, passions and pageantry and traditions of, of college football. Uh, one of the learning curves for me, to be honest, was being from, uh, you know, the Midwest and the North, was uh, how serious they take uh, college football down here. Uh, I'd say it's uh, it's a little different than up in the north. And I always, you know, I get asked, uh, you know, Alabama or Auburn, and I just say go Troy because I learned that's uh, that's the way to get me out of that situation. And I'm like, oh, he's neutral. We don't <laughs> believe him around. And you know, throwing in that go dogs, throwing in that go dogs to just about anyone, you know, kind of kind of creates a goodwill towards me, which is always nice. Yeah, no kidding. The, the Minnesota section, I met Bronco Nagurski's up there. What's his display look like? Or what, what's that display? So we, it's interesting. We don't have a whole lot on Nagurski really on display. We just don't have a whole lot of memorabilia from his, his time playing. But I recently what we do is a, a sponsorship with sports, sport turf, uh, they could, you know, they lay our field down at the, we have a 45 yard field with a field goal indoors right at the center of our, uh, you know, museum. 
And so it's always fun because these we're doing it 16 weeks, uh, you know, kind of for each each week of the football season. And uh, most recently, I talked about Bronco Nagurski, and so it's always fun, especially with things like that, because I basically picked yeah. 16 of my favorite guys throughout time, and uh, just kind of went with it because for you know a minute voiceover, I can talk about just about anyone, but if it's uh, you know someone I'm really excited about, that's always Oh, it's fun. I have to think of a guy named Ricky Bell who, you know, played at uh, Southern Cal. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, passed away pretty early. We didn't have anything on him. I get this email out of the blue from a Japanese email, and I almost deleted it instantly because it looked like spam. But I decided I saw Ricky Bell, which is, you know, kind of out of the blue. So I was like, all right, let's see, because it's not like – it wasn't your typical uh, spam email, if you will. Uh, this guy covered American football back in the 70s in Japan. <laughs> and he was basically Rick wow. Bell's right-hand man while he was there for the Japan Bowl, drove him around, had him stay with his family. And as a thank you, he gave him his Japan Bowl jersey and signed on the back a bunch of programs and different memorabilia from his, his, you know, his time there. And this guy was like, I would love to have this, you know, at an American college football museum. And, you know, I was like, oh, this sounds great. You know, if it comes, you know, five days later, I get a package from Japan, survive the survive the voyage over, and it's Ricky Bell's Japan Bowl jersey. And, wow. you know, signed by him. And just something really wow. special like that where wow. it's one of those things every day is a little different. So it looks like uh, nice Jeremy, I got a quick question. Um, oh, how, sorry about how, that, Bob. How much square? How many? How many square feet is the actual College Football Hall of Fame? Oh, that's you know? a great question. My brain wants to go ninety-four thousand square feet. I was going. Wow, wow, wow! That's incredible. I was going to say it's got to be huge. I mean, to 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 hold all that stuff, it's got to be amazingly big. I just had to pull it up. It's ninety-four thousand two hundred fifty-six square feet so i was you know off by a couple hundred but we were close yeah <laughs> wow good call wow. i, I wow. thought on wikipedia earlier yeah when i was looking um you have an about and you have the the gallery that's really cool i'm, I'm kind of cruising through that right now and, uh just it looks like 1951 is the inaugural class just how cool what a great interactive website you have too just images of everybody click on it and it dives down into their information and it's just, uh, just very cool. Oh, on Hudson, yeah, I like it. It's just, it's, it's so fun to see, you know, how, how few people, you know, shine in college, or the people who shine in college who sometimes don't make it on to pro, and then the people who have lackluster careers in college who move on to shine and, and pro. I mean, you know, Tom Brady'd be your, you know, your your modern equivalent of that. He was average in, in college. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things that are interesting because people ask, okay, so why isn't such and such in the Hall of Fame? You know, sometimes it's an active player like Tom Brady who, you know, who knows how long that man will play. But it's also interesting because then I tell people to kind of go look back and you look at some of their college careers, you know, maybe they were good, but they weren't, uh, you know, maybe the most excellent, as you mentioned with Brady and guys even like Rogers going from a junior college in Butte to – Yep. Uh, Cal, then, to what he's done here at the Hall of Fame, you know, or sorry, with the Packers. And so it's one of those really interesting things because it's so, I don't think people understand how hard it is to achieve and be, be inducted into yep. our Hall of Fame because we not yep. only cover Division One, it's Division One, FCS, 1AA, D2, D3, and NAIA. And so. I really tip my head off to some of those, you know, smaller division school guys because, you know, they're right up there with, you know, some of the greats. And it's always just really fun to uh, to see, you know, that level that level uh, being shown shown as well and celebrated. Being from a small Division three school, I always like to, you know, give a little extra love to some of those smaller schools. Yeah. And here's that example working backwards, Vince Young you know, Texas quarterback, here he is in the 2019, amazing college player, greatest Rose Bowls ever against USC that came down to a nail-biter. Uh, obviously didn't do very good at the Raiders. So, I mean, it, it goes the other way like that. It's, that's pretty interesting. 
Um, so you're, you're, you're a collector. You've got a job at one of the, the coolest places I could think of working. Uh, what, what, what advice do you have for, you know, collectors of memorial, you know, the, you know football memorabilia, et cetera? The biggest thing I tell people, you know, I have new, you know, I have friends that are new friends and old friends that are now jumping back into cards, and they know I've been collecting. I basically, I kid you, never grew up. I just kept collecting forever. I, I mean, several hundred bobbleheads. You know, I just kind of, and it was funny because I was that kid who would let my sister open up her bobblehead so I could look at it. She, she'd play with it, whatever. I didn't even need to open it out of the box because I knew what it was. You know, kind of put it wherever my collection was. But one of the things I always tell people is collect what you like because, let's say, it goes to zero. For example, you look at the, you know, the junk wax era. Obviously, a lot of those cards are making comebacks, but there's also people, myself included, that have you know, 10,000 or so cards and maybe not, not the highest value, but it's just that fun of collecting. And I think that's one thing I always tell new collectors of whatever, whatever you're looking at is, you know, do, do, and collect what you enjoy and have fun with it. Very good advice. Hmm. Very good advice. Yeah. Jeremy, and don't collect vintage because I want the prices to stay a little reasonable <laughs> for a couple more years. <laughs> I, got, I got two quick uh, observations. Number one, um, the, you said football's, you know, college football down here is big. I was shocked looking at TV, uh, the cable network down here. They have an ACC network that basically shows football around the clock, morning, noon, and night. They have videos of current games. They have videos of older games. They have talk shows, yada, yada, yada. I mean, they talk at 24-7. It's amazing to watch. Yes, and and number incredible. And number two, I can't believe how big high school football is down here where on Friday nights there's two local stations uh, here in Southport, Wall, Mantic area that show the high school game of the week. And uh, it, it's amazing to watch. And they're, and they're good games. They're competitive games. These, these high schools have, have really good uh, teams here. So I think that's a good feeding ground for the colleges down south here in the Carolinas, Virginia, Georgia, and Florida, so on and so forth, Alabama especially. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing oh, yeah. it's, uh, difference than, it's, than it's so, back in Connecticut. It's so interesting. Interesting. So at the Hall of Fame, one one more thing, we have 775 schools on display, each with their own helmet that lights up when you walk in. Uh, you sign up, and you basically get to pick your school from Division One to NAIA. And people from smaller schools are all excited to see their their helmet light up uh, in amongst the, in the sea of you know the bigger names or what more wow. known schools. But what made me think of that is at the Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta, they actually have kind of the same thing. It's, it doesn't light up, but they have all the high school teams' helmets on display there. Oh, wow. From, wow. from all their wow. different divisions wow. uh, in high school ball down here. That's cool. Hmm. That's really cool. That's amazing. Jeremy, well, you know, we're neighbors. If I make since, uh, I'm, <laughs> we're, Jeremy and I are neighbors, and i gotta, I got to shoot down to Atlanta. I don't know how far it is from here. I don't think it's that far. And uh, I'm going to expect a personal tour by you, unfortunately, to uh, oh, show me the talent. Get that, that, it'll be that <laughs> VIP tour, for sure. Is that, is that something you, you can't could, do the uh, whole 90,000? So I, I know you can't do the whole place, but uh, I would be very interested. And in, in, uh, uh, we'll, we'll hook up on the side. Uh, we'll figure out some dates. So I've got to get down there. It's amazing. And uh, I'm glad it's down here because it's closer than um, – where was it before? It was in, in Notre Dame, right? Yep, right next to Notre Dame. In Indiana. Indiana, and before that, uh, Kings Island, Ohio. Yeah, okay. That's what I, I I was trying to think before the show, and I said, yeah, I have to be there. So I have to been there. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for being on. I truly appreciate your insight on the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, you got okay. a perfect job. Enjoy every day you, you go there. I know you do. And uh, what, an, what an education you're getting and what an education you gave our audience tonight about the Hall of Fame. That was great. I truly appreciate that. I really appreciate both of you. Wow. My name's like Jeremy Swick, historian and curator at the Chick-fil-A College Football Hall of Fame in nearby Atlanta, Georgia. 
And uh, what a what an incredible story, and what an incredible job. And uh, just to um, right, let me back up a bit. I'm losing my spot here on the script. Sorry about that. Hey, are you a subscriber to Gridiron Greats Magazine? If not, what are you waiting for? Check out our website, gridirongreatsmagazine.com. We're getting into our two-minute warning, and Joe, I'm going to hand off to you. What would you pick up on tonight's show? Oh, man. I'm so jealous. I try not to be jealous, but I'm so jealous. <laughs> uh, I, I spent quite a bit of time looking up the uh, – you know, looking at the, the you know the the Hall of Fame beforehand, we didn't even get a chance to talk about talking about being uh, you know in the Canton Hall of Fame or any of the other stuff. We focused on College Hall of Fame. It's just incredible. So, I mean, it, you know, I think you and I both got a little distracted in our script because, like, at one point, I was just looking at the interactive thing with all the inductees, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is cool. And the next thing you know, I'm like, oh, wait him up. <laughs> so I I apologize. I lost I lost uh, lost all no, no, no. there. Okay. No problem. You know, it's uh, interesting because yesterday, yes, yesterday I went onto their website and I was looking through everything, and I'm like, holy mackerel! I mean, you got you got literally the history of college football online that you could spend you could spend a week on this and not even see everything type of thing. So I can only imagine what it's like in person to go to. And um, you know, I remember the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I haven't been there in years. But, you know, that that I was pretty awestruck going into. I can only imagine College Football Hall of Fame. And, again, I don't think really – I think many – let me rephrase this. I think many collectors understand the history of college football and how deep it is and how passionate the fans are for college football and their teams. And it's not a general college – you know, I'm not – I don't hear many people, well, I'm a college football fan. They're an individual fan. They're a fan of Penn State. They're a fan of UNC. They're they're a fan of Virginia. They're a fan of uh, whatever college it may be, Alabama, Auburn, so on and so forth. And they live with their team. And and I think that's one of the coolest things about college football. You know, any time and, – and I know, Joe, you go to Oregon games over there. The pageantry, the, the tradition – it's just there. It's 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 something that is different than the professional game. You know what I mean? It, it's something completely yep. different to see and to view and to experience. And again, I, I I was brought up on Yale football. Yale football is a shell of what it used to be. I I watched a lot of UConn football back in the seventies. UConn football is the laughing stock in the country right now. You know the the bottom Division one team. I don't know why they have a team for. You know what I mean? But there's still passionate UConn football fans who've been going to games for 20, 25 years, and they'll continue to go. You know what I mean? Even though they lose, they lose all of them. So it's a different game. It's a different. It's a different way of football, and it, it to me it's not appreciated enough, uh, with the exception of the specific fans, the hardcore fans who do collect. You know, they collect the run of their programs, the ticket stubs, yep. anything. Anything they can get a hand, their hands on uh, for their particular team, and I think that's the great part about college football. All right, we're almost out of time, Joe. Final thoughts? Ah, amazing guest, Bob. I, I don't know where you, you know, where you know Jeremy from, but out, outstanding guest. Again, one of those guests. I think we could have just sat there and talked to you for hours. And he's another one of our guests who we could have a two-hour show with ease, and we still want to finish everything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's just it's just amazing, and again, it's it's the the beauty of our podcast. And the the one thing I I've said for years now, uh, especially with the magazine, I, I get to see some incredible collections, and I also get to talk to some amazing people in the hobby, and uh, in this case, the football, the college football hall of fame. It's just this is an incredible story. It's really an incredible story. Yeah. It's an amazing. It's been an amazing uh, trip for me since uh, my first pack since 65. All right, we're almost out of time. Thanks for listening. Joe, you're on vacation next week. We're going to have a special guest co-host coming next Thursday. We've got a very interesting guest coming up next Thursday. So please check us out. Joe, have a great vacation, and we'll be talking uh, two weeks from now. GridiagreatsMagazine.com. Thanks for listening. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, 
aka the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.